By the time you hear this episode, we will have only a couple more weeks in the year and the decade. It's weird how few people are talking about the new decade starting soon, the 2020s. I'm not sure if that's because people are overwhelmed with what's going on in their life and the world right now, or if everyone is a bit nervous about where we're going from here, or maybe all of the above. If you're like me, you probably found out about narcissistic abuse at some point during the last decade. Most likely, you've been through a massive awakening process as you discovered information on this topic and started down the rabbit hole. If you just found out about what was going on in your intimate relationship, family, friendships, or work relationships, then you probably spent most of the last decade in horrible situations that took a toll on your mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual health. If you found out a few years ago, then you've likely been dedicating the last years of the decade to educating yourself on narcissism and psychopathy, and hopefully also starting to work on your self-healing process. 10 years ago, there was very little information online about narcissistic abuse. Today, there is a lot available, and it's growing daily as new people step up into roles as advocates, coaches, therapists, YouTubers, bloggers, and helpers of all sorts. I believe this has been one of the greatest changes in the last decade. In this episode, I'm going to address some of the issues of narcissistic abuse in our society that have come up in the last decade. Some of these might surprise you. Then, I'm going to take you through an exploration exercise to help you wrap up the last decade and initiate a new one. This is Meredith Miller, and you're listening to the Inner Integration Podcast, where you can learn the mindsets and tools to self-heal after narcissistic abuse. With the holidays coming up, you might be looking for additional support. As you probably know, I no longer offer one-on-one coaching sessions, so I've partnered with BetterHelp, an online portal of licensed therapists, providing affordable therapy to you from the comforts and privacy of your home. BetterHelp is available worldwide, and you can get matched with a therapist within 24 hours. You can talk with your therapist via video sessions, phone, chat, and online messaging. When you visit betterhelp.com backslash integration, you'll get 10% off your first month. You'll find the direct link in the show notes. That link will take you to their intake questionnaire, where you'll answer some questions about what you want to work on. Be sure to check the box for abuse and trauma so they can match you with a therapist who specializes in that area. And if at any point you want to switch therapists, you can do that at no additional charge. Ideally, we wouldn't wait to transform our lives until the end of the year or decade, but alas, such is our human nature to resist change. We usually don't change until we have to. Resistance is strong with this species. While I work on personal growth all year long, I always set aside time toward the end of the year to look backward and forward to see how far I've come and where I'm going from here. It's important to commemorate the hard work you've been doing on yourself, as well as the amount of hell that you've been through and survived. This builds momentum forward. I highly recommend taking some time before the end of this year to get greater clarity on what you want to take with you from last decade and where you want to go from there as we embark upon a new decade. Later in this episode, I'm going to take you through some self-exploration exercises. I recommend grabbing paper and a pen or feel free to use a digital notebook, whatever works for you. 
Now I realize you might have been thinking this was just another podcast episode that you would listen to on your commute or at the gym. So you might want to come back to the second part of this episode later when you can do the exercises. Writing things down is a really different experience than just thinking about things. Thinking is good, but when you write your goals and insights, you're more likely to put them into action and get a lot more out of the past that you can use in the future. Remember, everything that happened to you, as shitty shit shit as it might have been, all of that serves you moving forward when you can extract the lessons and compost the rest to fertilize the garden of your future. First, I'm going to delve into some societal topics related to relationships, narcissism, and abuse that have come out during the last decade. As we are undeniably facing a pandemic of narcissistic abuse in the world, I believe it's important to pay attention to the micro, which is you and your life, as well as the macro, which is the societal and global patterns. As you have likely already realized, this form of abuse is coming at us from many angles. Interpersonal relationships, the family, for some of us, and also society, for all of us. Personally, I believe that narcissism and psychopathy are the main problem in the world today. When I look at the issues that we are facing as humanity, at the core, it all seems to point toward this. The more of us who wake up to reality take responsibility for ourselves and our lives, and contribute something meaningful to the world around us, the better this world will be. To focus on our personal lives and how these patterns of abuse affect us directly in relationships and family is a step in the right direction. However, to ignore these same patterns in the world is like co-signing on our collective demise because it's only going to get worse if we do nothing about it. Now, I also totally understand that when you're in the first stage of healing, you have so much on your plate. You're so overwhelmed that you just don't have the bandwidth to focus on something beyond yourself. As you progress in your healing process, you will naturally start seeking to create more meaning in your life in ways that you can contribute to the bigger picture in a positive way. The last 10 years has brought out a lot of chaos in the world. It's normal that it's darkest before the dawn. And it seems we currently find ourselves in that part of the cycle. Some people are referring to the 2010s as the decade of protests. These are often not televised, but if you have been tuning in to independent investigative journalists, then you've also noticed this trend. People around the world are fed up with the status quo. People know something is wrong, but they often don't know what it is exactly, and they feel powerless to do something about it, so they take to the streets. Sometimes they can identify some problems. Others are harder to pinpoint, just like when you're in a relationship with one of these narcissistic or psychopathic characters. You know something is wrong, but you just can't figure out what it is. We can't change a problem if we aren't aware there is a problem and what it is. This last decade started with Occupy movements in the West, the Arab Spring movements in the Middle East, and it has continued since then around the globe. I've counted about 15 countries currently protesting at the time I'm recording this episode in early December 2019. Some of these protests have been going on for months, others even a year or longer. At the beginning of the decade, Facebook changed their algorithm to end the chronological news feed. Conveniently, while protests were using that platform to organize, That change in the news feed was the day Facebook started to curate their users' perception of reality 
based on what they show them or not. Social media has made better and faster organization possible for these protests and other movements, as well as the dissemination of information that goes against the official narrative. Yet during the last decade, we've also seen how social media is contributing to or amplifying the pandemic of narcissism. During the 2010s, we saw the boom of everything online. By now, any businesses that aren't online are likely facing major financial problems or going out of business. The new economy is e-commerce. At some point during the last decade, you probably got your first smartphone. By now, your smartphone has maybe even become like an extension of your body, your long-term companionship that you check in with day and night. Everything you do online is being recorded into data centers that are organizing your data bytes into metadata. That will be used to target you, to influence your purchasing and consumption behavior, as well as the very perspectives that you have of reality and the world. Now you might be thinking, Meredith, let's not get too tinfoil hat here, but I'm not making this up. This has been happening for a long time. Edward Snowden was the first person to expose this. He worked as a technical contractor for the CIA and the NSA, unknowingly building the very systems that would end up collecting our data and organizing it. During this decade, Snowden made the brave decision to let the public know about the illegal and unconstitutional abuse of privacy going on, not just of Americans, but of people around the world. If you haven't read his new book, Permanent Record, I highly recommend it. Snowden is an example of the persecution of whistleblowers who reveal abuses of power by the state. There are many others like him who have been smeared, imprisoned, and or forced into exile during this last decade for exposing abuse. Not only are they recording everything that you do, everywhere you go, what time you wake up and go to bed, where you sleep, who you talk to, and who those people talk to, everything you've ever searched online, they're also using that metadata to manipulate your behavior. We saw this with the Cambridge Analytica scandal a few years ago. There's a Netflix documentary on that called The Great Hack. They explain how they used data that people shared on Facebook in their profiles, on their pages, and in the surveys that they voluntarily took or that their friends took, then targeted people based on their online behavior in order to influence the way they voted in the last presidential election. They did that by placing content in people's newsfeed on Facebook in order to sway their minds. Data is now worth more than oil. Nowadays, more than ever, we need to guard our minds from outside manipulation. That manipulation can be very covert. Always ask questions and do your own research. We have seen some interesting tides changing over the last decade in terms of calling out abuse and predators. The Me Too movement started along with cancel culture, both which have benefits but also problems, as movements are always hijacked by power players with an agenda. The benefits are that we've gone from a cultural atmosphere of silencing victims, not calling out abuse and abusers, and people getting away with it, even when it's common knowledge in their social circles that they are pedophiles, rapists, or predators. Many Hollywood actors and producers got called out. Some academics, some politicians, Jeffrey Epstein was a classic example of an elite power player predator. 
He served time just before the 2010s decade began on watered-down, pathetic charges that should have been sex trafficking of children, but ended up being soliciting prostitution of a minor. Now, that was where we were as a society before the 2010s. Nowadays, people are speaking up and reminding us that underage children are not prostitutes because they cannot consent. That level of gaslighting and corruption goes on in the judicial system of the USA, like many other countries, to protect the elite and connected predators. Back in 2008, Epstein got sentenced to 13 months in jail. However, he spent 12 plus hours per day out of the jail at his office doing whatever he wanted. He just slept at jail. His butler, who stole his black book of contacts and revealed it to the authorities, got more time in jail. Epstein was released and went on to tell people that what he did was basically the equivalent of stealing a bagel. He didn't have to check in with parole officers. Post-criminal charges, he continued enjoying friendships with power players like the Clintons, Bill Gates, celebrities, Prince Andrew, and who knows how many more. He continued to donate tens of millions of dollars to Harvard science departments for studies on behavioral modification. And you know, psychopaths love to study how to control people's behavior in transhumanism, which is the merging of humans and AI. He also donated to political campaigns like Hillary Clinton and a senator in the Virgin Islands where he owns a whole island. By the way, that senator gave back the money, but Harvard and Hillary kept the money they got from the pedophile, psychopath, sex trafficker. Epstein finally got caught again in 2019, and this time there was public outcry because the cultural environment is starting to change. Now, dozens of his victims came forward and continue coming forward as time is going on. Unfortunately, something very shady happened around his alleged suicide in jail, a story that more people disbelieve than believe at this point. Layers upon layers of corruption in the system still protect people like him and all the others who participated in raping and trafficking girls with him. Epstein, who likely had thousands of victims, evaded justice yet again, and this time for good. But fortunately, the public is continuing to demand answers and justice for his victims. This past decade, we also saw mainstream media exposed for the sham they are. CNN got caught on hidden camera revealing the personal vendetta of their corporate president and how he forces his team to focus their reporting on his political agenda. ABC got caught promoting a fake video they claimed was Syria to justify their war agenda, but it was actually shot in Kentucky, USA. ABC News also got caught in a hot mic when one of their correspondents revealed they had the Epstein story three years before he got arrested again and they hid it. Then when the leaked video came out, ABC called CBS, where the suspected leaker of the video now works, and CBS fired someone who apparently wasn't even the actual leaker. So clearly they showed us that their priority was to punish the truth-teller and to never address the great disservice they did to Epstein's victims. Mainstream media is all owned by only five megacorporations that control the perception of reality of people who tune in. These megacorporations and the narratives they spin are sponsored by Wall Street and corporations that want you to subscribe to their versions of reality. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that their agenda is war, fear, war, consumption, war, division. That's how they make profit. 
That's how they get viewers. That's how they manufacture consent. And that's also how they keep the economy going. They also have to keep fomenting the polarity and division to keep people busy fighting each other instead of the abusers of power. Fortunately, more people are realizing this now. We've also seen an increase in online censorship during the last decade. Corporations like Twitter, Facebook, Google, and YouTube have found ways of using algorithms to manipulate search results, suggested content, and whether you get notified when someone you follow posts something new. They also unsubscribe people, even though they pretend they don't. They even use the algorithm to hit the brakes on videos that are blowing up if those videos don't fit the official narrative. It's a very clever form of gaslighting because they can pretend that they're not doing censorship since most people don't understand what is an algorithm and how it works. As Greg Coppola, a Google senior engineer whistleblower revealed to Project Veritas, there are humans who write the algorithms. A couple years ago, we saw a more overt display of censorship, demonetized, shadow banning, and deplatformed. New trends that we've seen on social media platforms where they cut off a content creator's ad revenue income, they hide them in search results and don't notify their followers of their content, and or completely remove them from their platforms. Free speech has been an unfortunate casualty of the 2010s. This used to be the pride and joy of America, but it's gone now. They're getting more covert with their tactics, however. Now we content creators must censor ourselves in order to avoid being censored by the corporations. For example, lately I've noticed that if I use the word abuse on YouTube or put it in the title of the video, they will automatically turn yellow for limited advertising. And after requesting a manual review, it's confirmed not suitable for advertisers for reasons of violence. Yet I see hip-hop videos with actual violence fully monetized. I did a video on getting your executive function working again after narcissistic abuse, which was basically about self-care, organization, and time management, and that video was confirmed not suitable for most advertisers for sensitive content. Now, they don't even give us a reason anymore. YouTube's new policy is that they will grant themselves the authority to remove channels that aren't making them money, meaning those whose videos continually get demonetized. This is their new clever form of gaslighting, so they don't have to admit that their censorship is based on ideology and politics. They outright deleted many channels that go against the official narrative in health, news, and other categories. In the not-so-distant future, YouTube will be only gamers, makeup artists, sports commentators, and other mind-numbing entertainment. Channels like mine are probably on borrowed time at this point. Censorship is going to be a huge theme in the next decade, though I believe they will hide it well to avoid public awareness and outcry. This is our postmodern Fahrenheit 451, but instead of burning books, corporations make content on the internet disappear when it doesn't conform to the official narrative. All of the above-mentioned corporations are working with the intelligence agencies of USA, and while their favorite line is national security, that's just a gaslighting term for maintaining secrecy and control. During this last decade, Google also removed their motto, don't be evil. Along with the rise in social media and everything online, we are seeing a new trend called selfitis. This is noticed in the contagion of selfies. While this is one of the superficial and minor forms of narcissism, we see an increasing focus on self-promotion. For the most part, this is harmless and not hurting anyone. However, this trend is driving people towards self-absorption, which isn't evil, 
but it will inevitably damage relationships because like any disease, it will spread into other areas of a person's life and that will affect the people around them. Hopefully, the cringe-worthy duck face and the awkward bathroom selfies will be left behind in the 2010s. Along with the selfie trend, we see a new addiction coming about as people are becoming hooked on the dopamine hits they get from counting likes and comments. These are referred to as vanity metrics, and they are creating an addiction to instant gratification. People, especially youngsters, are being groomed to define their worth via the amounts of likes and comments they get online. This will have long-term damaging effects on their sense of self, as well as their interpersonal relationships. The I-children, being born after the advent of the internet and social media, are brought into a world in which they know nothing else. They are creating more digital connections than actual human connections. The bullying they endure at school doesn't end at 3 p.m. when they go home because nowadays, bullying is 24-7 online. The dopamine reward system will also have devastating long-term effects on these kids as they grow up. Many of them might perceive their online life to be more real than their real life. The latest stats say that Americans spend an average of 24 hours per week online. That's like a part-time job. Dopamine fasting is now a thing. Referring to the dopamine reward system, Sean Parker, one of the original Facebook co-founders, said, The inventors of social media apps understood the social validation feedback loop consciously, and they did it anyways. God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. A former Facebook VP of user growth, Chamath Palihapitiya, expressed his regret and guilt for his part in, quote, building tools that destroy the social fabric of how society works. He said these apps are, quote, psychologically manipulating people. We have seen other new words and trends coming about in the recent decades, such as influencers and the attention economy. There are some great influencers out there, no doubt. However, you also notice a lot of narcissism and psychopathy in that field. Empty words, cliches, copying other people's work, talking a lot without saying anything. The internet and social media has also given place to role models such as the Kardashians, Miley Cyrus, Justin Bieber, Eminem, and other celebrity characters promoting unhealthy relationships and junk values. Fukushima nuclear disaster happened during the 2010s, and that contamination continues to poison life in the Pacific Ocean and pour over the west coast of USA. By now, it's spread around the whole planet. TEPCO, the cleanup company at the nuclear site, was caught lying and lying and lying some more. The governments and media tell us nothing to worry about, nothing to see here, and for the most part, they pretend like it didn't happen. They don't test the air, water, or food for nuclear contamination because if people don't know, then they have plausible deniability. It's very convenient gaslighting since nuclear poisons are invisible, undetectable to the eyes, nose, or mouth. You need expensive equipment to test for it. Next decade, we will start to see the increase in cancers caused by Fukushima, but given its invisibility, the authorities will act like the nuclear contamination has nothing to do with it. The Hadron Collider at CERN was fired up in 2012, leading to the discovery of the Higgs boson particle, also called the God particle, and possibly in the process, they also created alternate realities on planet Earth. 
They are playing with very dangerous technology that could even cause many black holes to form on our planet. Perhaps this Big Bang simulation was aligned with the end of the Mayan calendar, and we are now living in a different world without realizing it. We also saw the first photo of a black hole this decade. We've seen a rise in populism in the 2010s, along with the plague of identity politics, voter shaming, overly politically correct censorship, and extremism such as radical left and far-right movements spreading around the globe. Dating has also taken a new direction in the last decade with the rise of online dating apps. This gave birth to the so-called swipe culture, where people have become disposable and characters like narcissists and psychopaths thrive. Several months ago, I did a podcast episode on the series Dirty John, which was based on a true story of a woman who met a predator online. I mentioned how he would seek his targets through dating apps, and I urged caution with dating online. There's another trend that I noticed when I went to L.A. for a podcast interview last year. I talked to the male producer who mentioned the challenges of navigating consent in the post-Me Too world. That really caught me off guard because I'd been removed from USA's culture for a couple years and hadn't thought about what that's like for good men these days. There are plenty of narcissistic, psychopathic, sociopathic women who falsely accuse men. Let's not forget that. Here in Latin America, however, machismo is alive and well. Society and dating has not been affected by the Me Too movement in the least. In the 2010s, we've also seen a global rise in the divisive trends like MGTOW, men going their own way, and radical feminism, further contributing to the growing polarity and division in society. Remember, the abusers always divide and conquer in order to maintain control. This happens in the family, in social groups, and in society. The best antidote to the polarity division is independent thinking, critical thinking, and doing your own research. Cheating has become much easier during the 2010s with online dating apps, as well as social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. One of my friends, who is a dating and relationships coach, told me that she's seen a rise in the amount of people who cheat. She said it always starts the same way, online. Usually, it's on social media where it starts with micro-cheating behaviors, liking and commenting on photos, then it escalates to direct messaging and flirting, and eventually they meet for a coffee or a drink and the physical affair begins. I've talked with manicurists here who have told me that about 80% of the men and women they work with are in relationships or marriages, yet have an active profile on Tinder or other apps where they hook up with lovers on the side. It's just too easy. The last decade of swipe culture has also given birth to new dating terminology such as ghosting, zombieing, orbiting, backburner guy or backburner girl, fuckboy, cock carousel, and more. The 2010s also brought about online streaming. Netflix hit an all-new level of viewership. While Netflix and chill has become code for hooking up during the last decade, I've talked with many people who also say, They'd just rather stay home binge-watching Netflix series than making the effort to go out and date. Pornography streaming has also taken to a new level, and this is further destroying relationships by creating porn addictions, erectile dysfunction, and young men are getting their sex ed via porn, thinking that's what sex is. I've talked with men who are shocked that women don't want to be treated like that. Porn can cause men to get so used to jerking off that they can no longer have an orgasm with actual sex. 
Women are ever more disappointed with sex because they feel they can't have a deep connection with their sexual partner who often see women as objects to have robotic, empty sex with. Porn and the over-sexualization of society has conditioned people to separate the physical connection from the emotional and spiritual connection. As Jordan Peterson says, casual sex becomes psychopathic behavior because how do you really separate sex from emotions and the rest of your being? Another alarming trend that came about this decade are parents trying to force their underage kids into gender transitions. Now, I'm all in favor of LGBTQ rights. Gay marriage in the USA was one of the positive things to come out of the last decade, as well as the new acceptance of transgenders who want to identify as a gender different than the one they were born. However, a whole other thing is when parents groom their underage children to identify as a different gender. There was recently a Texas court case where a father was fighting for his seven-year-old son's well-being because his mother wanted to start him on puberty blockers to transition him into a girl. The seven-year-old boy was clearly confused and only behaved like a girl when he was with his mother. If this isn't addressed and an age of consent isn't legally established, just like for sexual intercourse, we are going to see a rise in Munchausen by proxy, where some narcissistic parents tried to coerce their kids into identifying as another gender and then force them into life-altering surgeries or hormones that create irreversible damage to their bodies at an age when they can't make those decisions responsibly themselves. The narcissistic parent in those cases likely wants the attention and status that they get by being progressive and having a trans kid. The mother of the poor Texas kid was indeed using him for PR purposes. Now that doesn't mean every parent of kids who identify as trans is a narcissistic abuser. There's also nothing wrong with little boys dressing like girls and vice versa if that's what they want. But when it comes to the irreversible damage caused by injecting hormones, puberty blockers, and even transition surgeries, that has to be a decision that a person makes when they are of legal age of consent, because it's a decision that they're going to have to live with the rest of their lives. I saw another case about a 17-year-old Ohio girl who wanted to transition, but her parents didn't want her to. The state took away the parents' custody of their daughter because they wouldn't allow it. They even used the word abuse in the article I read, which was beyond alarming. Kids think they want a lot of things, and they might even think they'll die without those things. Yet later, as adults, they look back and go, what the hell was I thinking? The 2010s brought about China's thought transformation camps, which is where people go to get brainwashed back into obeying the state. China also came out with their social credit system that looks eerily like an episode of Black Mirror. People there are constantly being spied on via CCTV cameras and are monitored online. If they jaywalk, their social credit goes down. If they talk badly about police, they get arrested. If they have enough infractions against the credit system, then they are not eligible to travel via plane, train, or public transit. Why am I bringing up all these examples of narcissism, psychopathy, narcissistic abuse in society? Many of these are dangerous trends that will only continue to grow if people don't wake up and challenge the status quo before it's too late. Most people are unable to recognize narcissistic abuse, and that's why those of us who can see it need to be talking about it with anyone open to listen and willing to continue the conversation. From those conversations, solutions will come about. 
The powers that be sure aren't going to suddenly grow a conscience. So it's up to us to call it out and encourage more dialogue. It looks like the 2020s will bring about changes that will make our world today almost unrecognizable. We are entering the vertical part of the curve. This is where change is happening very quickly. Technology is significantly increasing the rate of change compared to where it was 100 or even 30 years ago. It seems like many things will be happening at once in the 2020s. We will be facing climate changes that will likely make some areas of our planet uninhabitable within the next 10 years. We are already facing the extinctions of some species that we share this planet with, and these shifts in the ecosystem will have domino effects. We will need to make drastic changes to reduce the pollution that is suffocating cities like the one I currently live in and many others. Our food supply is being ever more contaminated with harmful chemicals and GMOs. Most of what's sold in grocery stores isn't even real food. That's all contributing to the obesity and chronic illness epidemic. In the next decade, we will be seeing the boom of artificial intelligence technology and transhumanism, the merging of humans and AI, with brain implants proposed by people like Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, and others. That will lead to easier mind control through digital and automated means. The 2010s were the decade when we found out that narcissistic abuse is a thing that happens in relationships in the family. The 2020s will be the decade when people realize it's also happening on a societal level by powerful people and artificial intelligence. This will also likely be the decade when human and AI merge. That will be narcissistic abuse on steroids. If that sounds too futuristic for you, keep in mind that Elon Musk plans to implant electrodes in the brain, what he calls neural link, of the first human starting next year. The implanted humans will become like Agent Smith in the Matrix, bodies used as drones by the control system. Last century, very grotesque experiments were done with psychosurgery, where they implanted electrodes into people's brains. Every one of them went crazy. We are also currently facing the next financial crisis that will likely eventually lead to a global financial collapse in the coming years and perhaps a new cashless financial system coming about in this next decade. What will become of the poor people begging for change in the streets when that happens? As parts of the internet continue disappearing through censorship, we will see a further degradation of humanity's intelligence and the ability for independent thinking due to gaslighting, brainwashing, infantilization, and the dumbing down of the masses in order for the powers that be to remain in control. Genetically modified embryos and designer babies may be in the near future. Will they be born psychopaths when we play God with their genetics in a laboratory? People will likely become ever more distant from one another with virtual reality booming in the next decade. It will become much easier to have a relationship with AI than a real human. People will become even more lonely and less empathic. Virtual reality dating will likely be the next step up from online dating. Check out a Netflix series called Osmosis on that topic. Our perception of time will likely speed up even more as technology advances. Humans created technology to be modeled after our biology. The basic computer binary language of zeros and ones is the same language that the human nervous system uses. It was always set up for programming. Humans are evolving technology over time, but the big joke that isn't so funny is that our technology is also changing the human species. 
We have no idea what the long-term repercussions of that will be. As we follow the development of the I children, we will start to get an idea. One thing for sure that we know is the more time kids spend online, the less empathy they have. It seems to me the 2020s are going to be a wild ride. Certainly, those who are aware of narcissistic abuse and can see it on the societal level are going to be better equipped to survive and thrive the next decade. That includes taking self-responsibility and self-moderating how much time you spend on social media or even opting out of the dangerous digital trends that are and will be programming the masses. Everything you have learned about owning your reality when the narcissist was trying to force you into their distorted reality, all of that, is going to be your immersion training for what's coming in the future through ongoing psychological manipulation via technology and AI. My dream is that over the next decade, more people will open their eyes and wake up to the abuse in relationships, family, and society so we can change direction before it's too late. I believe this next decade and the choices we make individually and collectively will make or break humanity. Now, I want to invite you to do the exercises that I mentioned earlier, to look backward at the last decade and to look forward to the next I recommend doing this exercise sometime before the end of 2019. I know the holidays can get hectic, so the sooner you give yourself the time to focus on this, the better. If you're dealing with narcissistic people at home or in your family this time of year, it's extremely challenging. Hopefully, these exercises will help redirect your focus toward personal growth. Feel free to pause the recording after each question to give yourself the chance to think and write your answers. Of course, you can keep coming back to those over the next days and weeks or even months as more unfolds. So first, looking back at the 2010s, what did you accomplish this last decade? What did you learn during the last 10 years? Do you have any regrets or resentments hanging over from the last decade? Are you ready to purge any of these before the new decade starts? What was the best thing that happened to you during the 2010s? Or maybe your top three. What were the turning points in the last 10 years for you? These are the moments of breakdown breakthroughs. If there was one word to describe the last decade for you, what is it? What do you most need right now for emotional safety and security? How can you create more of that in your life? What projects or loose ends do you need to wrap up before the end of the year and decade? How much time per day or week are you currently spending on social media? How is that affecting your life and the results you're having? Who is currently in your cabin crew? These are the five or so people in your inner circle and your closest support network of friends and family. What do they bring to your life? What do you bring to theirs? Are these the same people you want to take with you into the next decade? Are there any toxic people that you want to let go of before the next decade starts? Or maybe 
There are some people that aren't toxic in your circle, but you know, they're just focused on other things and aren't moving forward with you into the new world. Did you get more clarity on your soul mission during the last decade? Take a specific look at your finances, your health, and your home life as we are ending the year and decade. This is your foundation and safety in the world. In what state are these three areas of your life right now? What do you need to change in your finances, health, and home life in order to thrive during the next decade? Now, looking forward to the next decade, the 2020s, what do you want to see change in your life and the world this decade? What do you need to let go of in order to step into the next decade? What are the distractions or escape mechanisms that you're currently relying on that are holding you back from stepping into the new decade? What are your fears about the next decade? What can you do to prepare, protect, and position yourself to deal with life if those things happen? What do you want to accomplish in terms of your soul mission during the next 10 years? How will you need to moderate your use of social media in order to accomplish your goals for this next decade? What makes you happy to be alive? Get you more of that this next decade. What kind of people would you like to add to your cabin crew in the next decade? These are the people who resonate with and support your soul mission. If you're struggling to get past some limiting beliefs that you know are holding you back from the next level, check out my course on upgrading your limiting beliefs. It will walk you through some very common negative beliefs that you may have learned from the manipulators and abusers in your life so you can identify those beliefs and reprogram them with positive ones that support your growth and success. You'll find that on my website as well as in the direct link in the show notes. If you are ready to redefine yourself in this new decade, I highly recommend my course, Change Your Story, Change Your Life. It will guide you through a process of letting go of your old story that was taught to you by abusive and manipulative people in your life so you can take the pen back in your hand to rewrite your story and redefine your sense of self moving forward. You'll also find that on the website and the link is in the show notes. Also, in case you aren't on my email list, you can sign up on the homepage and get your free quick start guide to recovery after narcissistic abuse. If you're on my mailing list, you'll be hearing from me before the holidays for a special live stream Q&A session that I'll be offering. It won't be available to the public, just my email list and the first 100 people who show up will be able to attend. And finally, if you feel a strong connection to the global awakening of people wanting to live in peace, look up a song that a bunch of Chilean singers collaborated on during the recent protests in their country. It's called El Derecho de Vivir en Paz, the right to live in peace. I know that might be hard to spell if you don't speak Spanish, so I'll put the link to the video in the show notes. It's the 2019 version with about 2.2 million views as of right now. It's beautiful and really well done. I'm wishing you all the best as you're wrapping up this past decade and moving into the new decade.
I'm grateful that you're here with me, to all of you who have been here through this journey with me, and to those of you who are just joining now. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Inner Integration Podcast. I hope you learned something today that helps you to see from a new perspective and to start using new tools so you can take action and transform your life after narcissistic abuse. Remember, you are enough. You matter. And you got this. If you liked this episode and want to hear more, subscribe to get automatic updates on new podcast episodes as they're released. Visit us online at innerintegration.com where you get instant access to a free quick start guide to recovery after narcissistic abuse upon entering your name and email. You'll also find there digital courses that have already helped thousands of people move through the self-healing process. Get loads more free inner integration content to help you heal after narcissistic abuse on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Big hug to you.